1844, in the royal family, there was the Queen Victoria. And her husband, Prince Albert, uh, saw an event in Paris, France, and had this, had this idea. He had the idea for what he was going to call the Great Exposition. And his idea was to bring to London, uh, at least in that day, the latest technology, uh, the most uh, innovative thoughts in manufacturing, the finest of art and literature and cuisine from around the world, and bring it all to London. Some of you will remember the days of the World's Fair. The Great Exposition laid the groundwork for what became the World's Fair. Now, he needed a place for this Great Exposition, so he had a building built in London. The building was called the Crystal Palace. 990,000 square feet, an iron and glass building to house the great exposition. And indeed it did. On May the 1st of 1851, the great exposition started and lasted until October the 15th. Well, when it was over, the question was, what do we do with this building? So, the first thing they did was they moved it. And then after a few years having it in another place, they just tore it down. However, you can still see it today in Dallas, Texas. If you know anything about Dallas, on what Dallasites refer to as Stimmons Freeway, which is I-35, there's a real ugly brown square World Trade Center with no windows. But just south of it, I mean, just next door to it, is a 990,000 square feet white iron and glass building known as the Information Mart, and it is an exact replica of the Crystal Palace. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. This looking like that. Let me explain. Take your Bible and turn with me, if you would, to the Old Testament book of Psalms. Psalm 106, and I'm going to read verse 34, 35, and 36 as we talk about this looking like that. Psalm 106, verse 34. It says, They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them, but mingled with the nations and adopted their ways. They served their idols, which became a snare to them. 
So here's where we're going. I think the greatest may be temptation, but I would certainly say the greatest challenge that God's people have ever faced is to blend too much with and look too much like the world around us who doesn't know and relate to the God we know and relate to. Now, there's a natural tendency, there's an inborn inclination for you and for me to belong. It's a part of who we are. We all want to be accepted. Everybody naturally wants to fit in. In addition to that, we, we like things to be comfortable. We like things to be familiar. We don't want to um, receive criticism. We don't want to be ostracized. So God's people, from, from the beginning until today, have always faced the challenge that the psalmist talks about. The challenge of mingling with the nations, but not adopting their ways. It's one thing to mingle, to engage with, to interact with, to encounter the world around you, but it is another thing to adopt the ways to take as your own the ways of the world around you. And God's people have always struggled with that, and God's people are struggling with that today. I'll give you some examples. You go back um, when the, the children of Israel had been in bondage. They had been oppressed for 40 years. They're taken out of that bondage, led by Moses, away from the Egyptians. And do you remember... They hadn't been gone very long, and they hadn't gone very far till they hit their first kind of bump in the road, and what was their response? We want to go back. Take us back. We were at least familiar there. This separation from where we were familiar and comfortable, it's too much. It's too hard. We want to go back. Well, fast forward. They finally do press on. They eventually do cross the promised land. They eventually do conquer the land. But they began to adopt the ways of the nations. And so Joshua is, is raised up following Moses. And Joshua finally gets to a point where he has to say to them, okay, people of God, it is time to choose. Are you going to serve the gods of the people in the land where you're living, or will you choose to serve the Lord your God? That's when he makes that statement. Many of us know, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. It didn't take very long for them to transition from mingling to adopting, and Joshua finally had to stand before the people and say, choose. And what's it going to be? And he stepped out as a leader and said, here's what we're going to do. I'll give you another example. 
So they go past the time of Joshua. They're in the period of the judges. And so kind of the last of the judges is the prophet Samuel. Great prophet Samuel. Well, the people, the leaders of the people in particular, come to Samuel and make a request of him. Do you remember what their request was? Samuel, anoint for us a king. We want to have a king. Samuel is so disappointed in their request. He says, the Lord your God is your king. He is your leader. Follow him. They said, no, we want a king. And do you remember the reason they gave for wanting a king? I'm going to paraphrase here, but the reason they gave for wanting a king was everybody else has one. And we want to look like that. We want to fit in with them. We want to be like those people. We want to be like those nations. If you go into the New Testament, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 12 says it like this. Do not conform to this world, but he says, be transformed. So, all from the beginning of time until today, God's people have always faced this temptation, this struggle, this challenge to blend in, fit in, look like those around us who don't know the God we know. So today, in these next few minutes, I don't know whether I have two points or six points. Now, I've been, in, I've been a Baptist a long time, and I'm certain that you're hoping I have two points. That, I'm pretty sure about that. Point number one, uh, what does separation look like? You might say it another way. What does transformation look like? You remember, um, so when Alan was a kid, my son and Alan graduated from high school together and college together. So all those boys, they had, they had these all kinds of things that they grew up with, but they went through a period of time using little toys that were like cars or trucks, but then you, you moved the pieces around a little bit, and all of a sudden it became like a robot. Transformers. So it, it looked like this, and then it looked like that. You know, they made some movies like that. I don't know, four, five, six of them, probably four or five too many. Did I say... Transformers, it looked like this, and now it looks like th this is the classic before and after. Before Jesus, after Jesus. What does transformation look like after Jesus? 
It means that we think different. It all starts with the way you and I, as believers in and followers of Jesus, it all starts with the way we think. So when Paul said, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed, do you remember the next phrase? The next phrase was, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Think differently. Jesus said it in Matthew 22, 37, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Think differently. Let me read a verse for you also from Paul. It's Philippians 4, 8. This is the way we are to think. But he says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on, think on these things. It all starts with the way we think. Transformation means we. You and me who believe in and follow Jesus, we think differently than the people out there who do not know the Jesus we know think. It also means that we talk differently. So by that I mean two things. One, the language we use. Just the very vocabulary we have is different. There are Words, there's language we don't use. Because that, those words and, and that language is not indicative of a transformation of the heart and of the mind. But it's not just the words we use, it's not just the language, it's not just the vocabulary. It's the way we use our words. Jesus said, Speak the truth, but do so in love. So the way we speak is kind. The way we talk is gracious. The language we use is one thing, but the way we use those words is another thing. It is covered with the love of God. So, what does transformation look like? Well, we think differently. We talk differently. And we, um, we act differently. So, our actions are different than the actions of those who do not know the Jesus that we know. So, you just get right down to practicality, uh, as a believer in Jesus, as a follower of Jesus, there will be places I don't go. As someone who believes in and follows after Jesus, there will be things I don't buy. As a believer in and a follower of Jesus, there are activities in which I will not participate. As a believer in and a follower of Jesus, 
There are just things I don't do. My actions are different. My talk is different. And it all starts because I'm thinking differently. My thinking is guided by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. When I acknowledge Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within me, and that suddenly begins to change the way I think, talk, and act. So, what does transformation look like? That's point one, or maybe the first three. I'm not sure. So, um, now... All of what I have said to you comes with some underlying challenges. So that's what I want to talk about next. What are the underlying challenges of this life of mingling but not adopting? What are the underlying challenges we face in that? So I have three. Underlying challenge first. I want to say it like this. Don't check out. Okay? Uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 17, Paul says, come out from among them and be separate. What I want to say to you is there is a, there's some tension here. This is, this is a little delicate, so I'm not going to deny that. But there's, there's a difference between separation and removal. We separate, but we don't remove ourselves from the world around us, from the society around us, from the culture around us. We can't remove ourselves from that. We separate, but we don't remove. We are here. Part of our very reason for being here is to engage the world, is to interact with the world, is to influence the world, is to have a voice in the world. So we separate, but we can't go so far as to just remove ourselves from all of it around it. Now, sometimes I want to. But you and me, we've been called to have a voice. We've been called to be people of influence. So what I'm saying is, don't check out. Separate, and I know it's delicate, I know there's some tension, and separate, but we cannot remove. Secondly, and I'm going to say these next two just as nicely and as sweetly as I can. So I'm just, let me just, I am now being very nice and sweet. Don't get mad and don't get mean. I tried to say that sweetly. So here's, here's the thing. There is a difference between righteous indignation and anger. I think, I think we are called to be righteously indignant of the things that happen out there that are against our God and His Word and the lifestyle He's causing, He's calling us to lead. There, there's, there's, there is a place for you and for me to be like Jesus was, righteously 
indignant of those things. But I see in our society nowadays far too many people taking that to the level of anger. And what happens when we get mad and when we get mean is we drive away the very people we're trying to draw in, and that's not what we should do. here's Here's the phrase that I like to use. You and me, we ought to be people with a winsome witness. By the way we engage, by the way we mingle, there's this winsome witness that draws people in. Let's be careful that we are not pushing the very people we're trying to lead into a relationship with Jesus away from him. Now, here's the last one. I'm just going to coat this with sugar. Uh, don't, don't get weird. I see. I tried to say that nice. Just, just don't get weird. Have you ever heard this phrase? So heavenly minded, no earthly good. I, I've known people like that. Let's, let's stop short of that. I think there's a way to be heavenly minded and do a lot of earthly good. And that's our calling. So let me tell you this. There is a lot happening out there in our society and in our culture and in this world that disturb me today. And I am constantly trying to find the right way to engage that world. And I'm not a Bible scholar, but I am a Bible reader. And a while back, as I've read this so many times before, I read it and it just came to me. Find a way to mingle, engage, interact, influence, have a voice with. But do not adopt, do not take on as your own. And there are a lot of cultural Christians doing that very thing. It can't be us. I'm simply saying, we can't look like that.